Want to go ahead and read the thing? Oh, yeah. Here we go. A nuclear bomb is not supposed to be a safe thing. It has no other purpose than to cause mass destruction of property and lives. For the scientists working on the Manhattan Project and subsequent bomb testings, every day was a race to see how much energy they could force from an atomic reaction, trying to find the most efficient way to end the lives of as many people as possible. At the Los Alamos Laboratory in Los Alamos, New Mexico, a pair of two separate incidents involving the core of a nuclear bomb would kill the scientists working on it. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the story of the ball of plutonium known as the Demon Core. That's yeah, so da, ominous. Da, 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 da. It's gonna be a fun episode. All right. <clears throat> is it, Greg? Is it gonna be a fun episode? It is now. <laughs> not with that attitude. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we get distracted with. I'm Greg, Chief Flathead Screwdriver Technician at Relative Disasters Laboratories. And I'm his sister, Ella, Fissile Materials Inspector at Relative Disasters Laboratories. Thank you so much for that horrifying story. Oh, yeah. I'm scared. Oh, yeah. This is, this is going to be a... This is going to be a thing. So our primary source for this episode is uh, the works of Alex Wellerstein, who is a Ooh. a historian specializing in the history of nuclear weapons. Uh, his that's a fun topic. Isn't it? Uh, his his research onto this involves uh, access to an awful lot of nuclear materials. He cites all his sources. He does a good job. And uh, we love it. Yeah, no, this is this is actual work. This is not some rando on the interwebs like us. So I usually write from listicles. So. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> the top 10 reasons why nuclear bombs will hurt you. <laughs> Number four That's will awesome. shock you. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10 will blow you away. Ew. Too obvious. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I listened to some interviews with Alex Wellerstein. He's like, Mm-hmm. He's an adorable nerd. I really like this Aww. guy. He's definitely like a nuclear bomb nerd. He's got he's got a TED talk that is that is great. It's all about how we don't actually pay attention to nuclear weapons anymore, and we probably should. <laughs> Can't watch that. Nope. My anxiety will oh, not yeah. let me. Nope. <laughs> but it's good to know that he's getting a TED talk. Yep. That's great. Yep. All right. So we need some background on nuclear weapons. From please, what is a nuclear weapon? <laughs> It's a bomb, Ellis, big bomb. Uh, from 1943 to 1945, science teams mm-hmm. working for Project Y at the Los Alamos Laboratory were designing and building the first atomic bombs. These bombs were pure fission weapons designed to cause an unstoppable reaction that creates nuclear fission. The basic process works like this. Uh, heavier atoms get split up into lighter atoms, splitting their nuclei over and over again, creating a massive release of energy, okay? Now, mm-hmm. in a nuclear bomb, you have a core that's made up of fissile material, material that can sustain that fission chain reaction. 
Right. So you have your core, and then around that you have what, what was called a tamper at the time and is now usually called a reflector, mm-hmm. which is an outer shell made up of super dense material that holds the reaction in place until everything goes super critical. With all those splitting nuclei slamming into each other over and over again with their kinetic energy being converted into heat. In about mm-hmm. a millionth of a second, the core and the tamper become plasma with a temperature of tens of millions of degrees, and the mm-hmm. resultant explosion is the nuclear bomb, devastating and irradiating everything in its blast radius. Did you come across anything about why people were so hell-bent on developing these kind of weapons at this time? It goes into It just a seems lot. like such yeah. a step up from like the earlier... <laughs> Like dropping a stick of TNT on somebody. Yeah. it's. I mean, that's terrible too, but this is like next level. The World War II arms race um, Mm -hmm. happened at basically the perfect, horrible time for it to happen because we were Mm -hmm. just starting to understand how these things worked just enough to make them go boom. That was about the end result of it. There's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of fear involved. I'm choosing to focus on just the science of it for this episode because a lot of the stuff that surrounds it is just so awful i i don't want to get into it (laughs) uh this is relative disasters not absolute yes not not good choice on your part okay so uh the first nuclear bomb test of this type was called trinity and it used Mm -hmm. it used a bomb named gadget with a core of plutonium uh, so I came across this yeah. in uh, the John Wayne episode. Yeah, exactly. Why did they give them such cute names? Because there weren't many of them. It was so hard to refine plutonium and uranium at mm-hmm. the time that these were like, you've got to understand, these were individually, essentially handmade cores. Okay. <laughs> Like artisan. Yeah, these were artisan cores. They weren't they okay. weren't um <laughs> this wasn't something where you could just get a bunch of plutonium and make a whole bunch of these. They made three of them. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> so they, they were all named because they needed to keep track of which one was which, basically. Right. Um Okay. Now Good to know. there is a difference here. So th- the Trinity bomb named Gadget had a core of plutonium. But the first mm-hmm. bomb dropped on the Japanese city of Hiroshima used a uranium core. So that right. actually had, and it was a different type of bomb. Mm-hmm. The second bomb dropped on Nagasaki used another plutonium core. So they had made a third plutonium core for a potential third bomb. And fortunately, Japan surrendered before that could be dropped as well. So right. that third core was designated to be used for testing instead. This third core, they named Rufus, uh, is the subject of our episode. Okay, so can I just say Rufus is a really stupid name. We try not to pass judgment on this podcast, <laughs> but great. I'm just going to go out on a great limb. Great name for a dog. Not a wonderful name for a, a nuclear device that can kill a whole bunch of people, but uh, yeah, that's like that was... your bachelor uncle who always brings. <laughs> I'm the not going to Uncle Rufus. Cookout. I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's not a bomb. His couch smells like pee. All right. <laughs> so the testing experiments that were run on Rufus were attempts to see how close the core was to its critical point, and the way that you right. do that 
is you put reflecting materials around it and measure the neutron reflection. Okay. Okay. Now, <laughs> one of the things that really struck me about this is how small this thing is. So this core measured about three and a half inches in diameter. That's about 89 millimeters. Mm-hmm. And it weighed 14 pounds, a little See, over I... six kilograms. Like yeah. something that small that's that heavy. Okay. <laughs> it's just wrong and it shouldn't be yeah. that way. Mm-hmm. In my, in my in experience. Your expert opinion about nuclear devices. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the way that the core was constructed... It was you made two hemispheres out Mm -hmm. of a plutonium-gallium alloy. The gallium is there to essentially help stabilize the plutonium. Mm -hmm. And then there would be a little ring between the two uh, hemispheres. And then you'd coat the whole thing in a layer of nickel to prevent it from corroding. Because Mm -hmm. plutonium corrodes really quickly. That's also something I learned. I don't like that either. So... To make this into a bomb, you drop that reflective shell around it, let it go critical, everything becomes plasma, you get your boom. Leaving it... I assume there's some kind of, like, delaying device? You... Well, you set off explosives that trigger the impact that makes the the stuff come together and blow up, basically. So you can do it from a distance? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to go into, actually, how to assemble your own nuclear bomb on this podcast, because I'm on enough watch lists anyway after doing the research (laughs) for this thing. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Hi, my personal assigned FBI agent. It's nice to meet you. Um, If you vanish immediately after we record this. (laughs) It goes up. I'm gone the next week. Yep. It's just... No, what are you talking about? This podcast has only been done by Ella. Uh, Okay, so... The other, but the thing is, when you have the core just by itself not in the nuclear bomb, the mm-hmm. tests that you're running on it are basically kind of, they, they called it tickling the dragon's tail. I don't like that at <laughs> nope. all. Oh, God, this, because... this episode is making me feel really unsettled. Well, what you'd be doing is essentially intentionally getting it almost to that point and then pulling it nope. back. And nope, no, no. thank you. That's not a great job to have. Um, No. So the first of the Demon Corps incidents happened on August 21st, 1945. I'm sorry. The what? The first? The first of the Demon Corps incidents. Yes. There's only one. Okay. Oh, we're going to get into it. Don't don't even worry about it. We're there. (laughs) So Harry Daglian Jr. And I I hope that's how his last name is pronounced. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was a 24-year-old physicist from Connecticut. He had excelled in particle physics, which was a new field of study at the time. And he was a graduate student when he joined Otto Frisch's uh, critical assembly group at Los Alamos. So his Mm -hmm. job was to measure the neutron reflection around the core by stacking bricks of tungsten carbide around it. Okay. Okay. Basically seeing how many bricks it would take before the mass hits supercritical status. So, you know, you put one brick on there, you measure how many neutrons are bouncing, you put another brick, you measure how many neutrons are bouncing, all that sort of stuff. Okay. Okay. So you're keeping it under constant measurement. You just don't want to push it past that red zone where it's going to explode, which seems fine. Um, yeah. That's great. Because what they're, what they're looking for is they're looking to see if they can use tungsten carbine as a, as a, as, as the outer shell around the core to set off the explosion and how much they're going to need and all that sort of stuff. Okay, that sounds sensible. So, 
Unfortunately, as he moved the last brick into place, he saw on the neutron counter that the core was already at its limit. Whoops. So he pulled his hand back, but something happened and he dropped the brick instead, causing it to land on the core, which the was just core. enough to send it into supercriticality. Uh. And Daglian couldn't just knock the brick off of it. He had to, like, disassemble part of the the bricks structure Mm -hmm. there to halt the reaction in the few moments that it took him to do that disassembly he he sustained a fatal dose of radiation which was an estimated 200 rads oh geez yeah there are pictures of the aftermath and they're horrifying the hand he used to remove the bricks looks like somebody wearing a glove Uh. the the skin doesn't look like skin anymore i there are color pictures out there i only looked at the black and white ones and they're horrifying enough it took him 25 agonizing days to die oh man and i feel i feel really bad for daglian he was he was doing his job well. He was doing it correctly. He just mm-hmm. slipped, you know. Now, if he had not been able to reach in there and disassemble the bricks, what would have happened? Uh, or is bad that things. Okay. Yeah, no, bad things would have happened. It was. It would have been enough to send the mass supercritical, and it wouldn't have. There are all sorts of bad things that would have happened, and that's that's where I'm going to leave it. Okay. <laughs> so he was okay. a brave kid. He was that. a brave he was a brave kid who did the right thing. Uh the security guard who was assigned to him because mm-hmm. you can't just leave a lump of plutonium like that sitting around with Thank you watching. no. Uh the security guard as soon as this happened uh literally ran for the hills. He ran out of the facility all the way up into the hills outside of Los Alamos and like had to be told to come back in. To be fair. To be fair. <laughs> That seems like a very normal reaction. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> There's a very nice memorial to uh, Harry Daglian uh, mm-hmm. in his hometown uh, that just says, you know, he, he did not wear a uniform, but he did die in service of his country. So it was kind of, kind of a nice, nice remembrance. Sure. So nine months later, uh, we have the second fatal incident. Now, this one I have a lot less sympathy for, and we're going to get into why. Okay, so this concerns the scientist uh, Louis Slotin. He was a physicist from Manitoba. Mm -hmm. Um, He was an expert in critical mass values in the uranium and plutonium cores and was one of the people in charge of assembling the bombs themselves. In fact, he was the person who assembled the Trinity Core. So really? he was a huge deal at Los Alamos. Okay. He was also something of a cowboy. He would often take risks that were ill-advised and kind of show off to other people in the base. Well, you don't um, get to that level of nuclear yeah. physicisthood without ruffling without a, little... a few feathers, Greg. Sure, sure. <laughs> you gotta you gotta be a little crazy to want to work with this stuff. And and he fits sure. that bill. Now what do you mean uh, by cowboy? Was he like Wearing spurs in the office? No, he, but he did Chaps. wear cowboy boots. No, he wore cowboy boots, uh, okay. but he did, he was just somebody who would take unnecessary risks. Um, in, there was an incident in 1945 when mm-hmm. he repaired part of the X 10 graphite reactor in Tennessee. Uh, he repaired that underwater while it was in operation rather than wait for the full day for it to shut down. See, I, um, that doesn't strike me as something a cowboy would do. Cowboys generally sing a song, 
Right. Uh, herd cattle. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm using it in the in the wait uh, for some the, friends in the 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 sense of one who who acts recklessly because they feel that they are invincible. The cowboy cop sense. Let's, let's gotcha. I just way. can't get over the image of a nuclear oh, physicist did, striding around wear, in a ten gallon hat. He did wear cowboy boots. That is documented. Um, Fantastic. So while he was exposed to radiation. During mm-hmm. the X-10 graphite reactor incident, he suffered no continued ill effects from it. Um, and Sloten's role in Los Alamos was the same as Daglian's. He was supposed to run criticality testing on the different cores. Okay. On May 21st, 1946, Sloten was preparing to leave the program. He was going to be one of the people moving on to do the Bikini Atoll tests, and then he was going to... Uh, his intention was to take up a teaching position at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So he was demonstrating how he did the criticality testing on the Rufus Corps to his replacement and six other onlookers. Okay. So this method of criticality testing involved lowering the core into a half sphere of beryllium mm-hmm. and then lowering another half sphere over it. That would be your reflection, knocking the neutrons back and giving them the results they needed. Okay. Sure. The protocol was basically that you lowered the top part of it with your hand, and there are two shims on either side of the core to prevent the hemispheres from closing over the core, because that would cause an instant critical reaction. Right. Now, Sloden didn't like using the shims. Of course, Uh, it's not a cowboy thing, is it? What he did instead was use a flathead screwdriver. Oh... To keep the hemispheres separate, levering See? the top up and down until he got the reaction he wanted. That doesn't seem like the right tool for that. It is It is extremely unsafe. Now, okay. he'd run this demonstration dozens of times. He did this. A, a number of other scientists at the base basically said he liked to show off doing this. Mm-hmm. But on the day in question, the screwdriver slipped. Of course it did. It's of not designed it to to do that. It's not designed that, to manipulate right? a nuclear core. No. <laughs> it's a screwdriver. It screws things in and out. Okay. Now, since there were no safety shims in place, mm. the hemispheres came together. Mm. The air ionized into a blue flash, and Sloten jerked the top hemisphere off and dropped it to the floor, ending the reaction. However, In that less than a second burst, he had taken a lethal dose of radiation and exposed everyone else in the room to it. While Daglian had died from an estimated 200 rads, Mm -hmm. Sloten was hit with an estimated 1,000 rads. Oh boy. Okay. So he was not in good shape. Oh no. He was actually fine. He vomited once and then went to the hospital for the protocol. However. I'm sorry. That's it takes it? a little it takes a little while for radiation poisoning to hit. Okay. So what wound up happening was everyone else who was in the room fortunately did make a recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over the next 9 days, Sloten's body deteriorated. Uh, with his organs failing, his intestines collapsing, internal radiation burns that one doctor described as quote a three-dimensional sunburn. Oh no. That's not a thing that should exist. Nope. Uh, His mental acuity became severely confused. Mm. His lips turned blue and they put him in an oxygen tent. Uh, And finally, on May 30th, he suffered a, quote, total disintegration of bodily functions, unquote, and died. 
That sounds extremely horrible. How long did it take him from... Nine days. Nine days. Okay. Yikes. Uh, one of the other scientists, the one who was standing closest to him trying to learn the process of it, mm -hmm. uh, wound up suffering neurological and visual problems for the rest of his life. Ugh. Most okay. of the other people involved did um, make recoveries. And unfortunately, with such a small sample size, it's really hard to tell whether or not the things that did eventually end their lives, if those were because of their exposure to the core in this thing or mm. weren't. Um, did they die unusually young? Nobody else died unusually young. Okay. Um, but none of them lived to what anybody would consider to be a ripe old age either. Okay. Um, yeah. But it's also a smattering of heart attacks as well as cancers and other things. So, so it's, it's not like they all developed the same weird cancer exactly, and died exactly. two years and later to the day. Yeah, okay. exactly. That, that didn't happen. So because that didn't happen, it's really hard to draw any real conclusions um, because the sample size is too small. Right. Um, so at the time, Sloten was lauded for his quick action at the time of the incident, uh, mm -hmm. which definitely saved the lives of everyone else in the room, to be fair, mm -hmm. and he was hailed as a hero. However, uh, <laughs> other scientists have rightly pointed out that his actions were in serious violations of very important safety protocols, and the incident never should have happened in the first place. Yeah, uh, I feel like as, as soon as the safety yeah. supervisor heard the word, he was using a, using screwdriver. a screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so as for the demon core itself... Uh, yeah, it was, what about that fun little... It was planned to be used in the Crossroads nuclear tests at the Bikini Atoll. Now, wait, was it damaged in either of these incidents? Not really, no. I guess the demon core doesn't get damaged. It it would take more ex it, it would take a longer reaction. Okay. Um, but because of the Sloten incident, it did need like it needed time to cool down. <laughs> uh, so it couldn't be used in the Crossroads nuclear test, and it needed to be reevaluated before it could be used again because sure. they, they needed to figure out you know what had been used up or not. Right. So at some unknown point over the next few years. The core was melted down and reintegrated with the United States stockpile of weapons-grade plutonium. Mm -hmm. So the core itself was never detonated, but bits of the core are probably still around in some nuclear bunker somewhere. What a nice thought. Yeah. Okay. So, so the program at Los Alamos, Yeah. was this the only kind of fission core that they had sitting around like it almost i know no, it's not they had like... other cores they had other okay. cores that that were there uh that were also being tested in much the same way with different materials trying to get different reactions mm -hmm. um but it was this particular core this rufus core that that was at the center of both of these incidents i guess what i'm curious is about about is is there anything like unusually powerful? Is it like the largest or the the longest lived or I don't know, most no. powerful core they had just kicking around? Nope. It was, okay. uh, in fact, it was very underpowered considering what. Well, uh, after all that, are, it was. <laughs> considering what some of the other things uh, that they were working on. The thing about all of these cores mm -hmm. is that. Um, 
all of them are extremely dangerous. So like, it's not like if you just put more, more plutonium in the core, you can get a bigger reaction, but you're also not, um, you're also not going to get, uh, the same, like you, it just means you're just expanding the materials needed. That's all. Right. I guess it just blows my mind. Like I know, I know a little bit about the Los Alamos program, but yeah, I had never pictured a bunch of scientists sitting around and playing with it with a screwdriver. Yeah. Me with neither. <laughs> with a screwdriver, as you so yeah. eloquently put it. Yeah. Like, was that exactly... just the norm? Were they just no. like, that was okay. that, from what I could gather from the research materials. It really was just kind of Sloten being Sloten. Okay. People just kind of were like, look, he's the man. You gotta, gotta oh, let boy. the man work. I mean, so he was, problematic. he was, he it really is. Um, and he was also somebody who like was because he was one of the assemblers of the, the actual Trinity bomb. Like right. he's the one who made the core. He's the like, OG. You, you can't exactly like, you can't really overstate his sort of on base celebrity almost. Okay. Um, so, so it's like, Nobody else would do this, but if Sloten's doing this, then that's, you know, we get it. It's just Sloten being Sloten. It's fine. See, that just seems like the Until wrong thing to bring to your work as a nuclear engineer. Yeah, I, I would agree. Am I, am I wrong there? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the wrong vibe. <laughs> it is the wrong vibe. Uh, and also, you know, there's, there's a... Uh, there's also a lot of secrecy. There are still papers around mm -hmm. this that are still classified. Yeah, so it's, I'm sure it's, there are things with, like, we used a plastic shovel to try and throw <laughs> uranium salts around the room, and, oh no. We had we a snowball have, fight. <laughs> giving ourselves three-dimensional sunburns. Nobody's uh, sure uh, what happened. Just just tell me that, that things are run more safely, and there are more protocols and stricter practices today. Just, if you have to make it yes. up, I don't mind. Just, nope. So nowadays, just tell uh, me something comforting. Nowadays, very very few um, nuclear tests are ever run with uh, people personally handling the material. Okay, that's good. Uh, one of the one of the things that came out of this was that the um, the invention of the so called Lady Godiva assembly, um, <laughs> which was a a thing that they came up with at the Los Alamos. Uh, laboratory mm -hmm. um that was uh, it was basically a remote controlled version of this um what does that have to do with lady godiva the chocolate uh what did they name it after were they making it like the lady godiva bonbons i i could not find a source on why they named it the lady godiva did the robot look like a naked woman on a I horse i think it's i think it's because the it was a way of handling it naked but i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I but, think that's uh, probably like more fun to speculate on than yeah, I, I it's agree. probably a very boring reason. So the Lady Godiva device is assembled out of a, a lot of very big screwdrivers. And you just, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a, it was a device that they used to essentially lower different test samples inside of a metal tower. So okay. You didn't have a person sitting right there being directly exposed to it. Well, that seems um, like a step forward in the direction yeah, of safety. Exactly. So that was one 
sort of okay thing that came out of it. And um, modern criticality accidents, uh, there haven't been many. The, the very last one occurred uh, at the Japanese uranium reprocessing facility in Ibaraki Prefecture. Um, in when was that? Se- September 30th of 1999, some workers uh, basically poured the wrong solution into a precipitation tank, and that caused a critical mass to eventually be formed, uh, resulting in the death of two workers from exposure. But before that, you really have to go back to like the 1980s, and before that, you really have to go back to the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s were when the most criticality accidents happened because <laughs> people were still trying to figure all this stuff out. Right. And surprisingly, there have been very, very few fatalities. That's good. Right? Uh, yes. So there have been 23 recorded fatalities due to criticality accidents, almost half of which happened in 1985 aboard the Soviet submarine K-431. Mm. Um, it, the, this was a nuclear submarine. It had been refueled. The reactor tank lid was laid incorrectly and had to be lifted up again with the control rods attached uh, because everything was off kilter. The mm-hmm. control rods went up too far, which caused... Uh, the starboard reactor to become a prompt critical, Whoops. which yeah, which wasn't great. Um, yeah, it destroyed uh, the enclosures. It ruptured the hull. Um, the uh, it set the submarine on fire. It sank it, right? I think I read about this. It was in the Hazma Bay. In okay, so they near, weren't trying to do Vladivostok. this at the bottom of the bottom no, of the ocean. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, it had just been refueled, so. Uh, it was basically they they didn't quite screw the gas tank uh, the gas cap back on the tank properly and then lit the pump on fire. Uh, <laughs> you always want to close the gas tank before you light the pump on fire. It's true. Everybody knows that. Okay. So ten people died in the actual uh, oh, event, geez. and forty nine other people uh, suffered radiation injuries, mm-hmm. and they contaminated the area of it pretty badly. Mm. But that was the the single largest one. And, of course, in closing, if we look at those 20, 21 to 23 deaths, mm-hmm. um, depending on wh- whose attributions you're looking at, it still pales in comparison to the two, the only two nuclear bombs that have ever been used in warfare. Right. And thank goodness for that, honestly, because we don't need any more of them being used ever again. No. That's that's my that's my well-reasoned argument. Sitting here pointing loading guns at people isn't the best way to keep peace, but it seems to uh, be the only way to do it with nuclear weapons, unfortunately. I don't know if you remember when we were younger, I want to say like first or second grade, one of the nuns told us in all seriousness that everybody had nuclear weapons and we were probably all going to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a bad uh, thing in the 80s. Yeah, I'm not sure if your class got that. You're a little younger, oh, yeah. but my class <clears throat> no, got we, that. We got I the think same once lecture. a year. Uh, 
Um, and then if you go back further, you've got our parents who probably had to do those whole hide under a desk if you see a right. bright flash drills. Um, and you know the ghoulish thing about that? This I didn't know this. It wasn't just safety theater. It wasn't just like this is something they can do so that they're not panicking in the moment and they at least don't die like terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also because there would be a slight chance of possibly being able to recognize the bodies. Yep. Got to cover That's, those faces, children. Oh my god! It's pretty horrible. Yeah, it's not great. I feel like as a as a as a race, like the human race, we're not yeah. quite ready for nuclear power. <laughs> like we have it, and it's nice to so, have. But and the, and the other thing is that we just are a, not good at it, and we shouldn't be trusted with it. It's important to understand the distinction between nuclear explosive devices and actual nuclear power mm-hmm. which nuclear power with one very large exception in chernobyl is actually incredibly safe we just don't have a great way of dealing with the afterproducts of it but <laughs> i mean the cleanup is part of the project greg the cleanup we were, is part of the project <laughs> as we were taught but, but it's also it's it's safer than for example like a lot of other ways of providing energy. Right. And it's it a cleaner power. Longer. I understand that. It's a much cleaner power. And My point is longer. that we can't be trusted to build factories <laughs> that are safe and we can't be trusted to not melt ourselves down by accident. I mean, at this point, we, uh, you know, we're just kind of kids playing with the toys that we don't understand anyway with all of this. So. <laughs> we built them. We should have, you know, okay, well. Well, the people who built them had a good understanding of how they worked. Did they? That doesn't mean everybody did. Does. They, Greg? Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Screwdriver guy wasn't. Screwdriver guy knew exactly what would happen as soon as the screwdriver <laughs> fell. That's why he didn't stand there gawping at it. He threw the top away. Listen, all I can think about is Homer Simpson tossing it, that. Pretty much glowing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 It's just, just yeah. Just picture that. That'll that'll get you through this. Movie. I feel like in a hundred years. People are going to look back on these times and, and just shake their heads. I mean, that's what everybody does. We look back a hundred years from now, from from where we are now, and we're just kind of like, oh, those fools. Like, this is the Wild West of... Eh. No. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think that, I think that if properly applied and understood, mm-hmm. so if we, to turn a really stupid pun if we choose to get to no nukes uh, we, can, we can really 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 solve a lot of energy problems Gregory. the only problem is greg what are we going to do with the stuff greg yes dear that is the worst <laughs> pun i think i've ever heard out of your mouth really that's the worst one okay it, it just yeah. okay you're welcome I'm just trying to picture how hard our dad is going to laugh when he hears that. He's probably going to give himself a heart attack, and you're going to be responsible. All right. That's my fault. He's going to recover at your house, not mine. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's nice and quiet where I am. No nukes. God. So, but my point is, is that they're very different. See, the problem, the reason that we have such nuclear fear has to do with the nuclear bombs. They are insanely destructive. It's dangerous. And they're incredibly dangerous. Exactly. But the problem is, is that there is really not much equivalency between a nuclear bomb and a nuclear power plant. Right. And a lot of people just think of nuclear power and they think of bomb, mushroom cloud, everybody dies. Danger, danger. Exactly. I mean. Now, 
If okay. we could solve the issue of what to do with the spent uranium rods from, you know, that isn't, the solution is not bury them in a mountain somewhere. Um, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of the, uh, the one way, uh, the one way spacecraft. Yes. Theory. Have you heard about this? I mean, it's some... you load them all up on a spacecraft and you shoot them at the sun. It is the only solution. Right? Okay, maybe not the sun, though. Why not Don't the we sun? have. Because we depend on the sun. Well, it's not going to blow up the sun. You don't know that, Greg. <laughs> Let's pick, like, a nice moon on Jupiter and just, just fill it up with. We could dig holes. The Jupiterians will be so angry at us for literally. We can build a space elevator and we can just kind of move it off planet. What we need to have are we need to have base matter blocks where we can alchemize matter into other forms of matter. <laughs> now you're thinking about Minecraft. Yeah. Oh, that's, is that, I, I'm, I'm sorry. That's what Minecraft is. Oh, well, okay. I only know that because my teenage son and I had an extensive conversation on what you can do in Minecraft. Okay. Um, right. And it's still in my head. It's going to be in my head forever. Yeah. Yep. That Not that I need it or that it's songs. useful, but uh yeah. 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 That's how it works. So that's the story of the Demon Core. Uh, I the, don't like it. <laughs> the nuclear core that killed two of the scientists working on it. One in a genuine accident and one because he was kind of being a doofus about it, to be honest. Like, I, I feel badly for the man. That is an awful, awful way to die. Like, mm. absolute first ballot Hall of Fame awful ways to die. Yes. But... The entire thing could have been avoided if he was using the safety mechanisms that were there. It's kind of like the same thing where, you know, people crashing their cars going 40 miles an hour, the seatbelt should save your life. That's why it's there. So wear it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not. Uh, it just drives me nuts that like he was just like, hey, guys, come on, watch this. It's it's I, I swear if if he had been around, you know, now this would have been like one of those hold my beer and watch this moments. It, I think it definitely qualifies. It's probably the original Hold My Beer. It he probably be. set his beer down, grabbed the screwdriver. It's like, guys, you're not going to believe said, how cool this is. <laughs> Come here, y'all. Oh, my God. It's the it's the fact that, like, the air instantly ionized. Yeah. That's a, that's off-putting. <laughs> that's upsetting. I don't it's like that at upsetting. all. It's upsetting. <laughs> I'm not even uh, sure I can really picture that in my head, and my body is still like, nope. It's basically a gigantic blue flash. See? Don't nope. like it. It's Don't like it at it. all. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for that nightmare material. You're welcome. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to shame us publicly... You know you do. Why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Well, okay, next week we're going to talk about a riot. And you know okay. I don't like to approach these in a judgmental way or with any preconceived ideas about it. Uh -huh. But this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. 
the stupidest. We're going to talk about Disco Demolition Night <gasps> in 1979. Yes! Many thanks to our dear listener, Lynn, for bringing this up. It oh didn't my sound God. fun. And then I did a little Googling and we're going oh, to get into awful. some talk it's radio. It's so bad. <laughs> we're going to get into a baseball forfeit and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about disco. It'll be a fun yep. episode. All right. Well, that sounds amazing, and I cannot wait to talk about it with you.